Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. Ah, yes, it's you. It's me. It's ESSR's feature presentation program. Today, I'm the goat David Campbell. I can't wait for this one. We are going to be discussing the best and the very, very worst of NXT call-ups throughout the years, throughout the ages, since the establishment of of the brand is going to be a good time don't forget the feature shows are on this network eat sleep suplex retweet every tuesday all right but you can also check out essr central on a thursday i got the days right this time steven send me my chocolates over you've also got great shows saturday draft live is a great show right now because i am on it at the present time so anything that i touch turns to gold go and check out all the great youtube content we've got quest showdown over there got book it over there we've got conspiracy theory over there east meets west is also a show that i'm i'm surely going to be on soon uh, i don't know why that i haven't <laughs> been invited onto this show yet I, it's, it's boggles the mind but anyway let's meet my excellent panel today first up she was a part of the the early days of NXT coverage on this network and also hosted a recent edition of Quest Showdown. You ain't never had a friend like her. It's a Disney fanatic. It's Sarah <laughs> Keith. How are you? I'm very good. How are you? I'm good. I enjoyed that episode. A lot of David Campbell uh, questions. It was wonderful. <laughs> yeah, it was really, really fun to do. Yes, good, good stuff. And something that else that's fun to do. Um, <laughs> this man, <laughs> he, he loves three things in life. Tyler Bates abs, <laughs> Finn Bauer's abs, <laughs> and my abs. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it's Mr. Gary <laughs> Fun things to do, indeed. Indeed. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm good, Mr. Campbell. I'm very good. I am um, enjoying my new role as a community activist where I'm about to chain myself to a fence of a library. Yeah. Um, but uh, other than that, yeah, really good. Thank you. Really good. I had a rather, rather pleasant afternoon as we're felt as we're recording this for yeah. reasons that you and I know. Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. Oh, let's focus on the library work because that, that makes you a good person. Uh, but anyway, someone who's been delighted by my presence every Saturday morning on Saturday Draft Live right now, I think he'll agree. It's good to be under the tutelage of the biggest draft mastermind in the history of the entire concept. It is Mr. David Hockney. Wouldn't you agree, Dave? Well, you did say everything you touched turned to gold, but you were already competing amongst two platinum tier co-hosts like myself and Jack. So if anything, that's a downgrade. Okay, platinum. fine. Wow, okay, that's fine. Noted. All right, anyway, let's round it off our panel today. He is a producer over at the YouTube side of things. You know him, you love him. It's Mr. Daniel Campbell. How are you, Daniel? I'm doing fine. Uh, known, and, known and loving, that's, that's, well, it's a mixed bag sometimes. I don't know. I mean, depends on what show I put out. I mean, I've had some little bits of issues lately, particularly with WWE going and retconning uh, some answers that I have on Quiz Showdown. So, wow. so retroactively, um, I'm pretty sure that does mean Sarah Grieve has actually won a Quiz Showdown, but we'll say that later <laughs> on. Yeah. The <laughs> Awarding titles after the fact is not something that can be done, Daniel, I've been told. But anyway, moving on. I do, yeah. uh, uh, we are we are going to be discussing NXT co-ops today. And Sarah, I wanted to go to you first. Like, when you hear the word NXT co-ops, does that give you positive vibes, or does it make you cabin in fear? What one would you lean more towards? <laughs> I mean, I'm probably cabin in fear most of the time when it's when it's like, right, okay, you're going to Raw SmackDown, you're like, no, no, don't do it, don't do it. 
Um, and I'm sure, like, ones that we'll talk about in terms of the worst call-ups, um, yeah, it's sort of a why, why did you do it? But at the same time, want to do it, they can't exactly say no, they're binded by a contract. <laughs> exactly, and Gary, it, the thing is, it's just, it's two different minds, you know, trying to decide what's for the best. You know, we've got Triple H down in NXT, who has one particular vision over how things should go, and then Vince runs the main roster, so it really is a bit of a mixed bag eh, when we're going to talk about these call-ups today. It is, it's actually, it's something that I think has lost its shine. In recent times, it was um, it was something of a, an excitement, particularly like its key moments, like the Raw after Mania, for example. You knew there'd be one or two NXT uh, call-ups, freshening things, freshening things up. And one of the things I'm sure we'll talk about the whole concept of the idea behind NXT was it was this forum for superstars to hone their craft and their characters. And then they were um, ready to go on the big stage, on the bigger stage. Uh, but then what we started to see was WWE start to fuck around with that and <laughs> change the change things up. The, the Viking Raiders uh, are probably a really good example. The Viking Experience or whatever names they came up with. You know, if you're going to change it, tinker with it, do it on NXT. Um, and when they come to the main roster. That should be the act that comes comes to the main roster, so it, that irritates me no end. Yeah, totally. And Dave Gary alluded to it there sometimes that you know it was a very exciting moment in the past where NXT stars got called up eh, for lack of a better term to Raw or SmackDown, but now it seems to be the reverse. We're more excited when eh, people go back to NXT. Yeah, exactly. Because in hindsight, you know, you see more eyes were getting onto the NXT product from around sort of 2015 onwards, because that's where we're sort of entering this new phase of, you know, this is a third brand rather than a developmental talent. But when you look back, you think all these these characters have had their chance to shine on what's a technically a much smaller smaller brand and a much shorter show, so they get the opportunity to engage with a much more you know, intimate audience. But when they're sort of put on the grand scale, it kind of feels like, you know, in some way they get lost in the shuffle because they don't engage with that intimate audience the same way as they did with with NXT. So going back the other way, it actually can benefit a lot of people these days. Yeah, just to, I imagine we're going to name some examples in a bit, but yeah, it's going from NXT to the main roster in hindsight is actually almost a bit of a curse in its own way. Yeah, and Daniel, Dave alludes to it there. It is the different vibes of the brands. NXT is still very much designed after to try and capture an indie wrestling uh, sort of vibe rather than, you know, the large-scale mainstream appeal of the main roster brands. Indeed, Chelsea Green had interesting points uh, in a recent interview she did on her release. Uh, she was saying that different characters just simply work uh, better on NXT than they do the main roster and vice versa. Um, outside of some of the ones we have today, do you have any that you can think of? Well, I would say definitely like there's, there's uh, a particular uh, pair of people I'm going to mention later on uh who like they worked brilliantly in NXT but just have not actually hit the mark on the main roster. Um the only other one I can think of uh off the top of my head would probably be No Way Jose. Because mm-hmm. if you think about it, No Way Jose, because NXT works as a smaller audience, the audience is more focused on it. Whereas mm-hmm. when you're up on the main roster, like well, the quote unquote main roster, Braun SmackDown, you're looking at um 
you know, there's so many people there, the audience becomes a bit more casual when it comes to Raw and SmackDown, whereas with NXT, it is just NXT, that's all they care about. <laughs> it feels like at points. So, No Way Jose had a good following in NXT, he was, his gimmick was getting over quite well. Main roster, people just didn't care. They yeah. weren't into him, they weren't into the, the, the gimmick and what he was trying to do, so that's where it, it falls flat for a lot of people sometimes. Yeah, they said no way to no way, Jose. And I'm going to learn a lesson from Stephen Wilson, right? Because I, I listened to the Dark Side of the Ring show, all right? And they, they, there was definitely a mistake made there to end on, on the sour note as opposed to something more lighthearted. So I'm going to start us off yes, with Stephen. the worst NXT call-ups this time. And we're going to go on a gradient, you know, a lovely gradient here. Uh, like Stephen said in that show, though, you didn't think that the... Um, what the brawl for all would be the most positive thing in any ESSR broadcast, but there we go. Um, but Daniel, I'm going to come to you first. Can you please give me what you perceive to be the worst NXT call-up of all time? The worst NXT call-up, oddly enough, goes to one of perhaps the most like, accomplished teams in NXT. I'm talking a team who held the NXT Tag Team Championships for just one day shy of a full year. I'm talking about Connor and Victor, the Ascension. Mm. So, let's rewind the clock to years ago when NXT was not the NXT that we knew. NXT was a shitty game show. <laughs> it was literally, hey, we have these really great wrestlers, but you guys don't know them, so let's pair them with a pro who can show them the ropes, even though some of the guys who they had on the original NXT had been doing it longer than the pros. So, hmm, bit of interesting terminology there. And Connor, or Connor O'Brien as he was at that point, not Conan, don't get it confused, he was he was one of those names that was on, I think, season two, I want to say. Yeah. And instantly, big guy, big presence, that should be something you pay attention to, right? Now nah, they, they dropped the ball with him. To be fair, they did that with a lot of people on NXT back in those years. But then he started focusing on uh, working as a single star, particularly when the actual NXT that we know and love now started up. And just a wee while into being there, uh, a gentleman by the name of Rick Victor appeared on the ramp and decided, you know what? I like you, dude. We're going to team up. And they would go after the Tag Team Championships and they would be renamed as the Ascension Don in this wonderful like, like the paint style that they had almost paint into like kind of conspiracy things not conspiracy theory, that's a different thing, available on the Eat Sleep Suplex retweet YouTube channel now cheap plug uh, so they would go after the tag team championships, eventually defeating uh, Adrian Neville and Corey Graves to capture the tag team titles Corey Graves the tag team titles, okay that's something that's that's that I know um, and they won the titles and they went on an absolute tear. Like, they beat Too Cool. Okay, so th there's nothing really big about Too Cool. Uh, at least when they tried to bring him back after the original run. But, but I digress. So they were demanding competition. They were just getting tag teams thrown at them left, right, and center. They were on an absolute rampage as tag team champions. 364 days. They were tag team champions. The longest championship reign to date for the NXT tag titles. And then along comes 2014 and they call them up to the main roster. And this is where hearts begin to break. So 
within a, within like two weeks of their main roster run, someone reviewing the Ascension said uh, they lambasted how WWE made them lose all credibility for two reasons. Number one, they openly admitted being a ripoff of the Road Warriors and Demolition. Secondly, they had all of the commentators disparaging them as being nothing compared to the older teams that came before them. Even so much so, they had the New Age Outlaws, the APA, and the NWO kick their asses on an episode of Raw. Like, on a, like, put it this way, I asked this question to the panel. Can you name one notable thing that the Ascension did on they their entire main roster run? They were with Stardust. Yep, that's what I was going to say. Cosmic they were with Stardust. No, 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 guys, you're all talking nonsense. The fashion fails... They were amazing. Oh, opposite. they were very good on the fashion files. Yeah, they were amazing right. with Fandango and Tyler Breeze and that. <laughs> they were good there, but then, you know, teaming with Stardust is, I mean, Jesus Christ, teaming with Stardust, that's like saying you were the guest singer on a Gary Glitter record. That doesn't work. <laughs> Right, so I believe that'll be my time to, to pop in. Uh, Daniel, thank you very much for that. Um, I will come and start off, like, you make interesting points about their call-up. And Gary, it does have to be said that the Ascension, we're put in a bad spot to begin with. Like, surely you don't bring up a hot tag team only to have them job to a uh, JBL and Agent Ron Simmons and Kevin Nash, whose knee... Uh, is more paper mache than bone at this point. You know, that seems a bit counterproductive. No, I mean, this is one of the things. If you're calling, you know, you're bringing any new act into your roster, you need to have a plan for their debut and what they're going to do from the weeks that follow. And that was something that seemed to be missing for the, ascent, the Ascension. Because I remember at the time, folk were really excited about this team. And you, you know, you wouldn't have known that a short time later. They, they really did very little of note. I mean, we joked about some of those those things they were involved with there. There was a moment when they were involved with the fashion files. I remember them coming to the safe on an episode of SmackDown for Breeze uh, uh, and Fandango, and they got a pop, got a reaction from the audience. But I think if I mean, I can't remember much more than that because um, I think they got jobbed out the week later. I can't even remember who the other team were, but it might have been the Bludgeon Brothers um, <laughs> at that time. So, yeah, just a, a story of what could have been. Yeah, totally. And, and Dave, Daniel's brought it up. They were compared to tag teams of of yesteryear. Like, they wanted to be this new Road Warrior faction, this new Demolition <laughs> faction. But it seems like when you're bringing up their, their teams with Cody Rhodes... Gary's talking about their run as the fashion files that they just became a comedy act in the end in WWE. Do you think that was the mistake when they got called up to the main roster? Yeah, I mean, just their image alone, you know, those, what they wore with the face paint and the shoulder pads and stuff, they had a very intimidating look about them. Like, these are two guys, you step across the ring with them and think, oh God, why am I facing these guys? And it was evident in the ring, you know, you know, going through all the teams in NXT and having that, that year-long NXT tag title reign, but when you've got commentators and legends basically bludgeoning them to death, saying, oh, you're just a, a Poundland Legion of Doom or whatever, you know, that's like saying, uh, oh, we're going to, you know, present this new car to some buyers and say, right, let's convince them to, to invest in it. But then they'll say, oh, look, one of the doors is missing, uh, two of the tires are flat, and, you know, the battery will die after about 10 minutes. Like, you're not exactly selling them to be, you know, this 
dominating team mm. that they portrayed themselves to be in what was at the time the developmental brand and it's a real shame because going back to what daniel said about the first sort of game show version of nxt connor o'brien was a contender on series uh series four and then he was on the redemption season and he did so much better like through the training he'd done and i kept looking back and i think you know what if he keeps this momentum going he might actually you know be somewhere in wwe but what really ruined it for me was just you know the the heavy unnecessary criticism like they weren't even given a chance yeah I'm actually going to take it in a different direction now, Sarah. I'm going to play devil's advocate a wee bit because you're you're a woman who has watched NXT for a very, very long time at this point. <laughs> Is the Ascension's NXT run glorified a bit due to the fact that they were at the top of what was a poor tag team division and a poor era for the tag team division in NXT at that point? Do you actually think that with their slew of squash matches and the fact that they didn't really have any memorable competition in that brand, do you think that sometimes we look back at that run with Rose Tinted Spectacle? Absolutely. There was next to no tag teams in that division that were that would even come close um, to sort of even challenging the Ascension because this was even like towards the start slash to midway of what we know as the glory days of NXT, but like while it was still developmental. Um, so, yes, I, I do think that we do look at it in a different light because we we do forget that there, there wasn't actually that many tech teams that were in uh, NXT. So, yeah, and then when they came to the when they came to Raw and SmackDown, obviously there's so many more tag teams. There's tag teams coming out of everyone's ears. Um, so I think I think it is a bit of a it's a bit of a weird one um, and like for me I, I was never the biggest fan of the Ascension um, like even like the different variations you know when Bram was on it I was just not a fan of the weird vampire gimmick and then like the whole rip off of the Road Warriors and everything so no I, 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 I stand by that it's interesting. We've got two different takes here. Sort of what could have been with the Ascension? Were they better than they were given credit, or was it just a case of the Ascension not really being up to par in the first place? We may never know, but we are going to go to Gary. Gary, what is your offering uh, for one of the worst things to talk to us? So my one uh, was a uh, was uh, a group that I really enjoyed in NXT and I said during the introduction got that it frustrates me no end when they, they take an act from NXT and change it before it goes on the new, uh, on the main roster. So the group that I think falls into the category of one of the worst call-ups is the group of Sanity. Mm. And uh, you know, I loved Sanity's presentation uh, I thought I loved their entrance. I loved the music. Um, I loved the quirky nature of the characters within it. Uh, they were all quite uh, uh, an eclectic bunch, and I loved the way that they, they played their parts in it. But the sanity that got called in, onto the main roster was missing a key part of it. Nikki Cross was left behind, and I thought she added so much to the group. So Sanity got called on to the main roster, onto SmackDown along as part of the 2018 Superstar Shake-Up. 
So it wasn't a, they didn't have a long tenure on NXT, less than two years, um, as this as this group, or, um, and they got called into the main roster, but they didn't appear straight away. They didn't actually appear on the show until June, so they were called called up in uh, April. We started getting these little video packages, and then it was announced that they were going to appear. Now, a group like Sanity, to me, and folk may have heard me talk about this in the show before, they don't strike me, you know, this chaotic group that marks the, their own tune. Um, it just seemed odd to me that, yes, this group are going to bring chaos two weeks on Thursday. It just felt weird to me. Um, so they appeared on uh, on the, the show the, in June, and by April of 2019, Sanity was no more. And some interesting uh, tidbits as well to share with you. So they actually did not win a single match on SmackDown. Yeah. That's part of the research. I discovered that. I know they didn't win many. I didn't think it was that little. They they did beat the New Day in a six-man table match uh, at Extreme Rules. But then um, they were then off TV for most of the year. I mean, they probably suffered coming into SmackDown at a time where SmackDown actually had some pretty decent tag teams. They had New Day, they had Bar, they had the Usos, the Bludgeon Brothers were a thing then as well. So they they probably struggled in that respect. But I feel like it definitely feels to me they were called onto the main roster, onto SmackDown with no plan whatsoever. Hence why they didn't debut for some months later. And then come April 2019... Eric Young's drafted to Raw, Kelly and Dane sent to, uh, back to NXT, and Alexander Wolf is sent off to NXT UK, where he comes part of Imperium. Yeah. And for me, this just feels like such a, a cry and shame and a waste. This, to me, felt like a really good group that could have made an impact. I didn't think Sanity were ever going to be in the main event of WrestleMania, but I felt that they could have added something to the to the product, to the presentation, they would have added a different wrinkle to it, and then, as it turns out, they added absolutely nothing. Yeah, and the potential was definitely there, as Gary's alluded to, Daniel. Like in NXT, they had a good run, they were a foursome. Nikki Cross was with them, challenging for the women's title. Uh, the three male members of Santa were involved in the first War Games match in about 20 years. It was that three way dance they had against the Office of Pain and Roddy Strong and the Undisputed Era. Um, a, a, a fantastic match you know it's sanity from their work in NXT proved they could have been so much bigger than they were done it really could have been so much better with you look at a number of factors particularly with the the call up that they had for starters they were called up as only the three men Nikki Cross was left back in NXT it, it didn't feel right just only having the three guys go up it I felt like it needed Nikki to be there with them as well. The problem then as well was just how, like I was alluded to, they came in at a bad time, really, because, you know, there's not much you can do for them. Sanity would have done better with just, like, showing up unannounced and just, you know, I don't know, like, wrecking the New Day, wrecking the Usos or whoever was there. Mm. Like, let them actually cause chaos and let's see what could happen from there. But it just felt like a major missed opportunity. It's it's one, they're one of those teams that I'll be honest, I wish hadn't got called up and were allowed to yeah. continue in NXT. 
Yeah, indeed. Could you imagine the pop, Daniel, if that what you had just described had happened? People would have been so excited about it. Exactly. And that would have been a really impactful debut. Yeah, totally. And it's one of those things, they gave that debut to like someone like the Good Brothers debut attacking the Usos. You know, it's not something that's, that's not been done before. It's something they could have easily done. Like they could have debuted like Retribution almost, hopefully with a better end product in that particular group also, uh, which I'm surprised isn't on our list of, of worst NXT call-ups, to be honest with you. Um, but I digress. Well, the show's only started, just started. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's the same. <laughs> Dave, I, I will talk about Gary Brock the fact that they hadn't won a single match on SmackDown as part of that run. Uh, in fact, they were involved in a, a, a situation where they lost a three-on-one handicap match, not to Roman Reigns, not to John Cena, not to a mega uh, babyface like that, but The Miz. They lost a three-on-one handicap oh, to The Miz. That was the state of, uh, of sanity at this point in their career in the main roster. I mean... Not to take anything away from The Miz, but even that is a bit of an uphill struggle. When you see, you know, the likes of Keith Lee failing to get one over on Miz and Morrison, same, same goes for, like, Damian Priest as well. But, uh, it's it was a prime example of not necessarily NXT, but Raw and SmackDown as a whole, just not knowing what to do with tag teams or stables. I, I don't know what it was. Like, maybe they just looked at guys like Eric Young and Alexander Wolf and they just immediately thought, Pfft. No, uh, but they look at someone like Big Demo and you think, you're okay, well, he's big, so he's obviously got something about him and, you know, the guy moves like a cruiserweight, so it's, uh, I can see why, you know, maybe Demo would stand out a bit better than, say, the likes of Young or Wolf compared to the rest of the roster, but, you know, it, it was summed up in a nutshell, if they can't even beat the Miz, like, all three of them can't defeat the Miz in a, in a handicap match, it, it doesn't exactly, you know, put them on uh, a list of stables to be feared. A hundred percent, and say that it, it proved that they have talent. Not only does it, their time in NXT prove that, but when you look at the members individually in the modern day, it proves that Killian Dane is now having a measure of success back in NXT. And a tag team with Drake Maverick, you look at Eric Young, his left for Pastures New, is having a resurgence in, in Impact Wrestling, uh, the current injury aside. Alexander Wolf in a, a nice little programme, found a spot in Imperium, a stable which has been treated much better than Sanity ever was. Do you think that there is still a road for these guys to have another main roster call-up individually and have success on their own? I mean... Knowing the past of Eric Young, he he was one that I was really surprised didn't manage to get himself completely over um, on the main roster because like we've seen what he can do now with Violent by Design in Impact, and I've seen what he's done in the past in Impact, and he's been like one of the most over people, whether he's a face or a heel. Um, so it really did surprise me that like his skills on the mic didn't manage to actually get Sanity over on the main roster like it is a bit hard because it was just Eric Young doing the talking and then you had Nikki Cross who didn't really do a lot of talking she was just you know really chaotic and then you had the two big guys and this is even like that was obviously even before and after um, they swapped out Sawyer Fulton for Alexander Wolfe um, so it's really really hard like it's it's good to see that like um killian dane's getting like a little bit of a uh, resurgence in nxt but alexander wolf is basically again just 
the silent is a silent member of Imperium. Um, and like we did, we did see on recent weeks that like he still had the roots of that, where he refused to attack Killian Dane. Um, but in terms of like individual call-ups, it's really quite hard. And like, like I would probably say, like out of the entire group, if they got called up singly, Alexander Wolf would have been left in the dust just because there's literally nothing else to him. Yeah, it's interesting. Briefly back on Gary before we move on here, there is still a member of Sanity, there is a remnant of Sanity left on the main roster, and that is the aforementioned Nikki Cross. Gary, for Nikki to have success as a single star in WWE, do you think she needs to find part of that Sanity character once again? Yeah, I think Nikki needs to find a character um, <laughs> because I think she's been pretty nondescript. She's not really the crazy person anymore or has she ever been mm. this, she had this link up with Alexa Bliss that never really went anywhere, it was on to something I mean it, it was more than anybody thought it would be and it went off in a different direction but never really concluded so I think Nikki just needs to find a persona of some description, something to make her unique because at the moment I don't think she I think she's a wee bit directionless yeah, something to stick her, sink her teeth into, uh, I think is a, a good way to put it. But we're going to move on to Mr. David Hockney with his offering. Dave, what have you got for us? Well, I mean, this guy certainly had a lot of potential when he uh, when he returned to NXT under his new moniker, but little did we know it would become a whole world of trouble, trouble, trouble. Um, so my, my selection for worst NXT call-up is going to be EC3. Now... Similar to Daniel's selection, you know, this goes as far back as 2011 when he was part of the game show version of NXT and he was under the, the name of Derek Bateman. Now, back then, that guy had a had a ton of potential to go somewhere. Uh, obviously, as the, the season dragged on, you know, his stock started to, to plummet and, you know, he just sort of faded away over time. So... Having gone away to TNA to sort of reinvent himself and even win the, the the TNA World Heavyweight Championship, you know, he's made somewhat of a name of himself under his new moniker, uh, EC3. Um, then when he was delivered the the pink slip, you know, from the Feast or Fired stipulation, he gets signed once again to NXT. And, you know, with a lot more sort of much wider audience support in this time around. And his first match back was the the critically acclaimed North American title ladder match at TakeOver New Orleans. Like, how many people can say that their first match back in NXT was a five-star classic? So, I mean, he may not have won, but you think, you know what, there's a little something there, you know, he could potentially be a future NXT North American champion. But then as the sort of, the months go on, it just doesn't go anywhere. I mean, he feuds with the Velveteen Dream uh, at TakeOver Brooklyn 4. He loses that. And then he misses most of the summer due to concussion issues. And I think that's when he was originally meant to be called up to the main roster, you know, after such a short stint in NXT, which already felt a little bit sudden. Uh, then once he comes back, he has a feud with Lars Sullivan, also loses that. And then just before he gets called up, uh, you know, he even gets into a feud with the Undisputed Era, which he also lost that as well. And then he gets his main roster call up, which was by that point, it was completely baffling because... 
a guy who had all the momentum in the world coming into NXT, you know, by the end of his NXT run, he was basically a, a dead horse, you know, and, you know, what better way to kick a dead horse and say, all right, now you're going to the main roster, um, you know, for a bit more exposure. And his main roster run was a very sort of blinking you miss it moment. You know, he, ha he gets a, a fluky win over Dean Ambrose at one point, but he never even got to say a word, which is a real shame because a big selling point of his character was being able to cut you know, amazing promos with his very arrogant, cocky attitude. And that was his that was his big selling point. But getting him to not talk at all, you know, WWE might have just just shot themselves in the foot. It was such, such poor booking. And even after the feud with Ambrose, you know, he gets relegated to main event as a jobber. And, you know, he's relegated to pre-show battle royals. And he just... He just doesn't get anything at all. In fact, he was actually the first person eliminated from the 51-man battle royal at Super Showdown, the one that was won by Mansoor. The only sort of slight glimmer of hope I can, hope I can give him is that he is a, a four-time 24-7 champion, which technically does count as a title reign, but it's, n <laughs> it's nothing to you know shout from the rooftops about. I'm sure he's buzzing about that, Dave. I'm sure yeah, he's yeah. absolutely buzzing but about yet, that. I mean, aside from... Aside from, you know, a few sort of more losing efforts and even more concussion issues, he was actually kept on until uh, Black Wednesday last year when he was released as part of those budget cuts because of the COVID-19 pandemic. It was... Oh, there was nothing there, you know, and he had a, such, such big run of momentum following his time in Impact that, you know, this should, just should not have bothered with it at all. Yeah, to me, it's it's a weird one, uh, Sarah. I'll come to you for this one because when I look at this list, I question whether he's a bad NXT call-up purely because his time in NXT was was also quite poor as it was in the main roster. Do you get what I'm saying with that? Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Um, see, this is one big gripe that I have. Like we all know that I do have a big gripe with NXT rounding up the indie darlings as they are or like the indie favourites and the ones that are like really really hot outside of WWE WWE need to forget or need to remember actually that not everything that happens outside is going to cater to their audience right so at the moment WWE is a family product right and they're trying to be a little bit more risque about it where is Impact uh, and TNA were more for adult wrestling fans, right? But also the different eras. Now, because we, we can't forget that about the whole thing that added to EC3's thing on the independent scene was he was Dixie Carter's nephew, right? That was the whole thing of the EC3, right? So he was Ethan Carter the um, third, and he had like really really great promos. And then see when he was when he got signed to NXT you put all the big hype around them and it's like if you're going to put the big hype you need to make sure that it delivers like you're putting all this pressure on it but sometimes it just does not translate and that was like one of the big major things is that when EC3 came in you had an abundance of male talent that were either on par or just slightly better in terms of connecting with the fans and what EC3 was so that's that's what my biggest gripe was with his run is yeah. that you had all these people but it's like they're, they're hyping up every single person and then it's 
as soon as something doesn't connect, they forget about them. And then it's like, right, okay, well, there's nothing left for you in NXT. We'll bump you to the main roster um, because there's more space for them. Yeah, totally, 100%. It was just like, he was brought in, yes, you'll be this guy. No, you won't. Okay, jobber. No, yeah. main event. All right, that's where you're going. And, and Daniel, the, the one shining light in all of this is that he, he did have banging entrance music. You can't, that can't be denied. That's like the only glimmer of hope in this. And I mean, I, I would even hesitate to put the 24-7 title as a glimmer of hope on it because the 24-7 title, the, the, my, my honest opinion of it, the title gets treated as a joke more often than not. Like They could do something good with it, but it's just passed around in skits that most of the time don't even hit the mark. Mm. In terms of EC3, he was a guy that came in with like, a lot of promise. He had such a great tear in TNA being, you know, like the, what was it, the nephew of Dixie Carter, was it he was? Yeah. And he could have, he could have just had such a fantastic launch point from there. I mean, heck, even, even in an ideal world, like, even him and Cameron Grimes could work as a team. Like, yeah. with Grimes playing the whole, like, rich guy gimmick, then getting shown up by Ted DiBiase the other week, EC3 oh. could have been a good, like, you know, foil for him to work with. But, Instead, unfortunately, we're in a situation where EC3 just get no time. Yeah, that's a bit of a dreak one, to be honest, Dave. Why have you brought this up? Because like, we don't even have the nice times of, of NXT. If he's NXT done to talk about and then say how it was ruined, yeah. it's just, just continuously I'm, bad. I'm sorry. I know like NXT you know, has produced a lot of great talent, but in this instance, yeah. you know, they're given they're given something really great and they just almost immediately threw it in the trash. It was, I'm, I mean, it, and, and that's why it's the worst. I'm going to come to Gary quickly because he managed to pull out the Ascension being in the fashion files earlier to cheer us all up. Have you got a, a shining light of an EC3 memory, Gary, you can throw on here to brighten up this wee bit? No, I don't. Um, <laughs> he, he, does have a banging in, yeah, he did have a banging interest music, I agree with you there. Um, he he suffered a wee bit because he, he became popular when he was supposed to be a heel, so he was turned face in NXT and then he, he wasn't doing anything. And then he was part of that group of people. Do you remember when the McMahons promised they were going to listen to the fans? <laughs> change. And he was part of that run, that group of NXT superstars that weren't doing anything. And actually, most of them hadn't done anything or achieved anything of note in NXT, but they were called up just to give something new and shiny on the, the main roster. So Lacey Evans, Heavy Machinery, Lars Sutherland, Sutherland and Nicky Cross... Yeah. Well, that group plus EC3 or this random group that were called up in the main roster at the time. So he got called up not because he'd achieved everything he uh, there was to do in NXT, not because he was ready to be called up, because they needed to call some people up just to give you know give them a bit of a break or some breathing space and hope that the fans would get off their back a wee bit because they were sick to death of the shit that was being shoved down their throats at that point so he became he became a victim of that to an extent and he, uh, I think the guys were absolutely right when they said earlier on they just didn't know what to do with him and they actually never really explained the EC3 character in the main roster either so nobody really knew much about him at all so he was just doomed uh, I'm afraid he was just doomed from the minute he got there doomed someone else who was doomed serious pick Round us off, Sarah. How's it going? Oh, 
well, my pick was just doomed. And it's very, very nice to see that he's like, you know, do slightly better. But my pick in terms of worst call-ups from NXT to the main roster was none other than the perfect 10 Ty Dillinger. Um, so, like, given, like, yeah, he had a brief stint with, um, he was actually part of ECW for a wee while. Um, very, very unsuccessful and then got released from the company. Um, but he got re-signed in 2013 as part of, like, the developmental territory for NXT. Um, and given the fact he had a bit of a floundering start, um, like, sort of jumping in and out of tag teams, and then he was tagging with Jason Jordan for a wee while, um, which it, it was getting mostly used as an enhancement talent, like, at this time. But you, you still kind of kind of rooted for him. I always rooted for him in a way. Um, but then when he debuted, like this is like the August uh, of like 2014 that he debuted his, his Perfect 10 gimmick. And you can see it got over instantly with the fans. I mean, like you could see everyone's like chatting 10, 10. Um, and obviously it backed up in the matches. I mean, he debuted and then in his debut matches, the new gimmick, he, he he ended up defeating Solomon Crow, who we now know as Sammy Callahan, um, back when Sammy had a, a wee stint in NXT. Uh, and then he sort of continued on. Um, yeah, he lost a bit. He lost uh, a match against the like debut in Apollo Crews. Um, but his in-ring work, like it was still actually somewhat decent. Um, but it, it was, I would say this in terms of just this is more fan connection um, that was really really ruined I think in terms of calling up because um, when he, he had his final NXT appearance it was not actually that bad I mean he ended up like winning a steel cage match um, against Eric Young so it was all good and, and carrying on with his gimmick like, again everyone's like 10 10 10 and rooting for him like see I think it, at this time if they'd had like a sort of mid card title it would have been something for him but because there was literally just the tag titles and the NXT championship again it's a big division and he just suddenly he just sadly wasn't fitting in but when it came to connecting with the fans and being over I think it's hard to find anybody around about that time that was more over than what Ty Dillinger was. So, like when he came to the main roster, obviously he, he was he, he made a surprise entrance in the Royal Rumble. And if he, we all we keep saying this, if he's not going to be ten in the Royal Rumble, then they've just there's no point. They've missed the mark. Um, and there was a great fan reaction to that because a lot of the fans had actually been quite familiar with them in NXT like chanting 10 10 10 10 but that was that was sort of it and then when he went on he had like a wee feud with Aiden English which was kind of meh mm. it was kind of meh um, I mean it was just like a match at Backlash after a few matches on Smackdown but then after that it just sort of went downhill for him um, again a big division on Smackdown and like he, he lost to like people of like AJ Styles he lost to Baron Corbin um, and just before he was actually able to leave Smackdown like he was it's supposed to be in a feud with Samoa Joe and then like with Shinsuke Nakamura like you hear all those names that I'm speaking 
and it is like Ty Dillinger gets lost in that shuffle and that's why I think like just in terms of the potential because of how over he was with the fans that he got lost with the popularity of everyone else that was on Smackdown yeah 100% and I think Gary Cena alludes to it there like if the debut had come straight after that Royal Rumble appearance where like she says he was over as Rover everyone shouting 10 10 10 he could have rode the back of that momentum do you think history might have been different had that happened yeah I mean I remember the Royal Rumble uh, appearances I didn't I was watching NXT at the time I remember Stephen being like proper marking out for it you know, <laughs> he, he was so excited about it in some ways it may have been even funnier if he came out number 11 because there was an anticipation of him coming out at number 10 <laughs> I love that idea <laughs> but he, he, you know Sarah makes a point but I think if memory serves me right he debuted at uh, the night the Smackdown after Mania 33 mm-hmm. so it wasn't a terribly long time later but yes uh, there was some momentum missing there but also again he debuted can anybody name a feud or a programme that he went into because for me he strikes me somebody he was there he got a win in his first night and then <laughs> didn't know what to do with him yeah, uh, yeah. Another, he did have a he, he had did have two a, feuds with Aiden English two different feuds with the same guy he did have a sort of a, a triple threat feud uh, between AJ Styles and Baron Corbin for the US title one time and I think that was one of his high points on Smackdown God, a feud with Baron Corbin being a highlight. God, that says, <laughs> that says everything. You've got to look at it. And the thing is, uh, also, I question this one because I think Sarah's right. What what made him better in NXT was the fan engagement. But, Dave, I ask you, wait, how much higher could Ty Dillinger have went on the main roster? Where would you see the ceiling for Ty Dillinger on WWE's main roster? Honestly, I would say as far as a mid-card championship, I don't think he had main event guy all over him. He was definitely someone who could engage with an audience. But, you know, as you said, you know, I think there's a glass ceiling and, you know, he was a a prime example of it. So I I don't know if it's, you know, the reason he got a lot of that fan support was because of his gimmick and a a very catchy sort of one-word catchphrase. But, you know, we've seen guys like that, you know, who, who... essentially get forward because of their gimmick or you know a particular phrase and or a particular phrase and he was just one of those guys unfortunately you know his in-ring work you know wasn't bad but it wasn't spectacular and i think riding that momentum of you know that one number shall we say is kind of what kept him going but when you try and put him in a feud or something that's you know, nothing's going to be talked about as an instant classic. So I wouldn't say he's, he's the worst, but it it definitely was by no means the best. I wouldn't mention instant classics around Sarah, but Daniel, to, to finish <laughs> off with yourself, we are talking about a man who is now in AW under the name Sean Spears. He had a loaded glove at one point. I don't know if he still has that. Managed by Tilly Blanchard, member of the Pinnacle. I'm going to say it. Bland as bland can be, for me, a bit lost in the shuffle. Do you think the gimmick made this man rather than this man making the gimmick? Oh no, definitely the the gimmick was the thing that that done it. Um, but I think just like what was the point of calling them up? Like just bring him in at the Rumble every year, number ten, have him run up, like just put him back on the shelf. 
Yeah. It's sort, of, it's sort of like Michael Bublé coming out for Christmas. Yeah, <laughs> Daniel, Sean Spears fan. Uh, I would say it's definitely a case of uh, he had a gimmick that was going well. The fans, you know, I'd say almost to an extent, the fans almost hijacked it mm. because they had him like come out at number ten two years in a row at the Rumble. Like that was a, a clear indicator, and then it did feel good when you saw him in the in his debut in AEW, throwing up the ten, but then instead flipping the bird and like instead just being like, "Nope, that's not me now." I'm doing something else and of course he would cement that by splitting Cody Rhodes' head open with a chair so uh, successful work yeah exactly (laughs) and now he's in one of the most high profile matches coming up in AEW like he's he's found a new bit of life by not being this guy running about yelling 10 yeah okay right right, we're going to get democracy here, people, we're gonna have some democracy. Instead of me making the decision about who made the best argument or who was the definitive worst call up, I'm gonna let you vote for someone else's. All right. So, Sarah, out of the three arguments you've heard from your from your panel today, who would you go with? Um. Uh, <laughs> Choose wisely. <laughs> Ascension, I mean, sanity, or EC3. Ugh. When they're all as bad as each other, but I would say just purely because they were the only one that had legitimate momentum. Well, in NXT, I will say sanity. Okay, Dave. Uh, I'll go with the Ascension. Daniel, nothing's going to save sanity. Gary, <laughs> uh, I'm going to vote for Ty Dillinger <gasps> since I can't support, can't vote for myself. Tactical voting for Gary gives him the win there. Uh, fantastic. He knows if he said a century, it would be a tie. Uh, that's a good one. Uh, we're going to add in the GOAT's honourable mention here at this point um, as a man who I think is a bit like myself. You know, both supermodels, both uh, have international residencies around the world. That is Mr. Tyler Breeze. Um, I would have thrown into this bracket. Um, I think that Tyler Breeze was a man whose position in NXT should have been replicated in the main roster he was never going to be the top guy but he was your solid upper mid carder for me he could have filled the void of the miz or jericho for years and years to come on the wwe roster but it was never given that opportunity yes the fashion files the fashion police it was nice we've run from there you know but but that's a lot lower than the card than i seen tyler breeze being in wwe does anyone uh, want to fight me on that Absolutely not. No, I, I thought his I model gimmick was the best. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Anyway, that's my honourable mention. He, he suffered, s- suffered from the d- curse of Dolph Ziggler when he was called up. Oh, oh that, yeah. And that man, he just he just kills all momentum. Uh, like Goldberg nearly killed him with a spear. Uh, but we're going to get more positive now. Positive vibes only, people, as we discuss what we felt were the best of the NXT call-ups. We're going to go in reverse order here and say agrees. We are coming back to you <gasps> yay well my pick is obviously not going to be a surprise to anybody but for me it was the call up of sasha charlotte and becky as part of the women's revolution wait um, what you're mentioning them oh my god oh my god i mean i know i never mention women <laughs> i never mention women's wrestling but yeah um, those three women, maybe apart from Becky, having like didn't have the greatest run in NXT, but that's where 
like she was able to shine eventually in the main roster. Um, bringing up Charlotte, Becky, and Sasha um, to be part of the women's revolution to sort of help out um, Paige, Naomi, and Tamina against the you know team Bella was probably, if not the smartest move that they have ever done behind the scenes in NXT. I mean, there was the biggest hype around them, especially like with Bailey when she did eventually join them after SummerSlam. Um, the the, the women sort of elevated and pushed because the women that were actually already on the main roster I think were coming a bit complacent um, and then the in, incoming, the biggest hype the big push around them pushed absolutely everybody and I have no shadow of a doubt that the women's like era of wrestling would have not been the same had they not called up those three women yeah, totally. It's a really good point you make. And Dave, we've spoken this show extensively about the impact the four horsewomen had in NXT, but with the three that Sarah's alluding to specifically, you can't deny that their NXT runs of Sasha Banks, Charlotte Flair and Becky Lynch were some of the runs that made that brand's legacy as the brand for a women's division in WWE and also lent and led the way to creating this entire women's evolution that we've seen. Oh yeah, the, this was the, the turning point, you know, for the, the women's division on Raw and SmackDown in particular, because by that point, NXT's women's division was already completely reinvented from the whole diva phase. And you couldn't pick three more reliable competitors from Charlotte, Sasha and Becky. But what I liked about this was that they were sort of put on separate sides. You know, you always had Charlotte and Becky teaming with Paige and you put Sasha with Tamina and Naomi, which sort of created a bit of a, an extra dynamic to it almost, you know, sort it helps build future rivalries down the way. And those were the sort of main championship matches going forward for the next few months as well. Cause like you had Charlotte Becky at the 2016 Royal Rumble. Then you had the, the famous triple threat at WrestleMania 32 where the Divas title was basically reinvented into the the raw women's championship it, it, it's those three you know from SummerSlam to wrestlemania they just completely turned the women's division on its head and they're still carrying that division to this day yeah i, I do have to come to gary on this one though because we've called it the best call-up however my argument for that could be that the call-up itself in terms of this gang warfare storyline that's played out might not have been the best way to call these women up it could have been done a bit better obviously can't argue with the end result but what's your opinion on that take Gary? I think you're right David um, and I think what they achieved was phenomenal but their arrival was a bit underwhelming if memory serves me right they just appeared with no prior warning um, um, and the gang warfare stuff and it's amazing that being paired with Tamina didn't pull and <laughs> derail Sasha Banks career <laughs> at that point so huge credit to her for that so um, I think uh, uh, Sarah was quite clever picking all three of these this, taking this group uh, as, as one rather than going for one of them um, 
them all. So yes, I think it could have been more more impactful. You could have, you know, if you're bringing them up as individuals, that could have been really interesting to see, you know, bring one in and then add in another a wee bit later on. Mm. Um, but WWE does, does uh, deserve some credit for the booking of that group when they ca- they came up and over the medium term, as I think Dave touched on there. Because often if they bring too many things at once, we know they're not good at that. Yeah. Um, but they managed not to mess things up on this occasion. Yeah, totally. And uh, Daniel, for any gripes about the way it was done, you can't argue with what happened in the end result. We get to WrestleMania, we get to that night, and WWE give Lita the honour of announcing that the Women's Championship is back in WWE is the Divas title no more and it's these three women who have been called up it's Charlotte, it's Sasha and it's Becky who's in that match at WrestleMania 32 so in terms of might have been a bit of a rocky start to get there within the next uh, six months or within the next half year calendar in WWE we're where we need to be definitely, you look at everything that the women's division had gone through at that point and it was, it was just horrible, I mean you it goes to the match where the Give Divas a Chance hashtag uh, was born as a result of it. They went from being, you know, having less than a minute to being given like a quarter of an hour at WrestleMania for that triple threat alone. And it was easily, you know, I'd say match of the night on that one because it was, you know, they gave them the spectacle that the, that the women should have had at Mania for years. You look at the entrances that all three of them got, Becky with the big huge, like, the entire stage nearly being, like, shooting up the plumes of steam for her entrance. Sasha having Snoop Dogg, like, player to the ring. Charlotte with an entrance almost similar to her dad's at Mania 24. Everything was in place. And then they went and proceeded to tear the house down. Yeah, totally. 100%. Can't argue with that. Um, I remember, especially how you anecdote, like, my youngest sister was really into wrestling at this point partially due to the Bellas and Total Divas but also uh, due to the work of Charlotte, Sasha and Becky and I remember taking her to a house show not long after this Wrestlemania uh, where they put on this triple threat once again at the Hydro um, and it didn't fail to tear the house down once again for us so you know I have to give mad props for what these women did and the impact they had in WWE history when it started with their NXT call up but David Hockney we are going to come to you, sir, to hear what you think is the best NXT call-up of all time. Take it away. Yes, and the best NXT call-up uh, as an individual rather than a group is Kevin Owens. And let me explain why. He arrives in NXT. He His first match against CJ Parker. He gets the win, as you do. And he wins with a broken nose as well. So that's... If that doesn't say fighting spirit, I don't know what is. And then, on that very same night, he turns heel, powerbombing Sami Zayn, who has just won the NXT Championship by that point. Bear in mind, Sami Zayn has been his best friend for God knows how long. And within his time on NXT, not only does he decimate Sami Zayn into a pile of ash, he does the same to Neville, powerbombing him on the edge of the ring after they fight to to a no contest. He wins the NXT title from Zayn via by a basically referee stoppage, which, you know, never mind pinfall or submission, that is just, you know, cranking up to 11. 
he successfully retains the title against Finn Balor and once more against Zayn, um, you know, because of Zayn's injuries and stuff. And then, does it stop there? No, 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 no. Almost immediately, he gets in John Cena's face on the main roster. Elimination Chamber 2015, he wins in probably one of the best matches I've ever seen in my life. Wins clean as a whistle. Like, your first main roster match is a victory over John Cena in an instant classic. Like, what's not to like about, you know, Kevin Owens making an impact when he was walking in as the defending NXT champion, he defeats one of the greatest of all time, clean as a whistle. If that doesn't scream, you know, best booking of an NXT call-up so far, you know, that's... He's already off to a flying start. You know, he does lose a couple more times to Cena because Cena wins lol, but you know what? I think we're just sort of used to that concept. But does he just follow to obscurity by that point? No, 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 no. Uh, he defeats Ryback to win his first Intercontinental Championship, and his very first title defense on the live Madison Square Garden show was against Chris Jericho, another greatest of all time. And just within the space of a few months, he's basically turned around losing from John Cena to defeating the likes of Chris Jericho. And that's just a big enough elevation in itself. But where it gets better, uh, fast forward a bit to the summer of 2016, where Finn Balor has just relinquished the Universal Championship. This has been considered one of the best uh, finishes to a Monday Night Raw in years, where Kevin Owens wins the Universal Championship following an assist from Triple H. And the response to that win, you know, the, the arena just went ecstatic and people were chanting, you deserve it, even though Kevin Owens was a massive heel at the time. I mean, the, the Universal title run itself wasn't, you know, the best of all, but look at what he's done since then. You know, he's gone on to win the United States Championship. He's went to have feud, continuous feuds with uh, Sami Zayn, even teaming with him at one point. He had a Hell in a Cell main event against Shane McMahon. And so just sort of listing a few of these moments off. Kevin Owens has been one of these guys who not only comes out swinging on the main roster, but he's consistently bounced back from any sort of dips in his career, whether it was a bad feud or whether it was a title loss. And he continues to be one of the most consistent, passionate and emotional performers you've seen, not just in the ring, but also on the mic. Like take his feud with Roman Reigns, for example, you were genuinely convinced that on more often than not, that he could potentially win the Universal title from Roman Reigns. And if he's been able to stay that relevant for the past six years and still continues to be a, a solid upper mid-card sort of teetering main event player, that has to go down, obviously, as a, as a successful call-up. Yeah, successful call-up. Um, started by a successful run in NXT, Daniel. It's safe to say, as Hockney alluded to, the NXT didn't waste any time in presenting Kevin Owens as a star attraction and I think that we talk about what he did when he went to the main roster but the momentum the NXT gave that man in that early feud with Sami Zayn was priceless um, and really meant that he couldn't fail going forward. That's that's the way they should be debuting people in NXT and even by extension on the main roster give them momentum to start with and just keep it going pace by pace. It helps as well that Owens has had years of experience like competing on the indies and building up this character that he eventually brought to NXT. Like, everything he did in NXT, from the first turn on Sammy, beating down Neville, winning the title from Sammy, everything was done, like, so perfectly. 
and then you get him appearing on that episode of Raw, walking right up to the biggest name in modern WWE, John Cena, and going, hey, how about you fight me? Yeah. Like, that, that instantly puts eyes on it. And I get the feeling, you know, maybe a potentially controversial statement here, but maybe, like, for, some, for an NXT champion to just walk right up to John Cena and do that, I honestly could not think of any other person they could have had, you know, do something like that and have it work the way it did. Like, I just get the feeling like, I mean, what was it? Like, I mean, put it this way, if they did something like a couple of years ago, Adam Cole walks up to Brock Lesnar, just like, hey, I'm NXT champion, you want to fight? The audience are not are going to more, more or less just going to laugh at it because they know how that's going to work. Lesnar will just beat the living crap out of him. But the fact that Cena was on the tear with the US Open Challenge, and then Owens just walks right up and just goes, hey, let's fight. That was a huge moment. That's how they should do it. A hundred percent. And Sarah, I think the thing with this is that that moment where Kevin Owens emerges on stage to challenge John Cena, not even challenge John Cena, just to tell John Cena that he's better than him and beat him up. Didn't even get to a match that night, people forget. You know, that night didn't only elevate Kevin Owens. I would argue that was the night that elevated NXT as a whole and that's what makes it a great call-up perhaps oh I remember it really really clearly um I was still like pretty pissed about the Sami Zayn situation when he tried to you know take on John Cena which you know he did even know he had to separate his shoulder um but Kevin Owens basically being that prize fighter character as well as like he talks it and he backs it up and you're just like mate Mate, I, I can't blame you. <laughs> I was like, yep, you're right. Go fuck him up. But at this time, <laughs> I think everyone wanted to see somebody beat up John Cena. So, yeah. I think um, it definitely put the eyes on NXT. It's like, yeah, we may be known as the development brand, but I'm the best of the best. And you're like, yeah. oh, dang. Yeah, oh, dang is the word. Oh, dang. Maybe says Gary. I doubt it, but he might. Uh, but Gary, you've got, to, you've got to look at it and you've got to look at the consistency of Kevin Owens' career since his call-up and I think that's the indicator that WWE got it right with this man. Yeah, he debuted with Impact and how many times have we spoke about that so far tonight and Kevin Owens is one of these guys I don't think people will truly appreciate him until he's no longer there because he's so you know, at times I think he has been overexposed Mm. Um, and it just potentially wrestled too much, particularly when he would, went through that face, new face of America run. You know, mm-hmm. he, he was, I think, a bit too overexposed in that in that period. There, he's had some real highs in his career uh, on the main roster, and then uh, cooler periods. SummerSlam 2019, when he beat Shane McMahon, he was so hot then. Coming off of WrestleMania against Seth Rollins, he was really hot. He managed to build some great momentum around the, with the Reigns feud going into the Royal Rumble, and actually made you doubt for a minute. Like you know, most of us assumed that it was a it was a formality what was going on, but he made you doubt for a minute. You know, he, I don't know what it is that's stopping him from being that consistent top guy. And it, because mm. when he's up at that level, he's great in the ring, he's great in the mic, but some reason how WWE just failed to build upon it. 
And yeah. I think Hockney makes a really, you know, this a really great show, and Hockney made a really strong argument for for Kevin Owens, and it's hard to pick pick yeah. any holes. And you know what Owens has achieved in the main roster, I think, has been fantastic. Well, you mean you have to just hope that your pick, Gary, is is simply better uh, to beat Hockney here. So let's hear what you've got to offer for us. Well, I mean, my pick is definitely probably the most aesthetically pleasing. NXT call up it is the man Finn Balor and those amazing abs those um, abs the abs got you love it you could just lose yourself staring at them so um, Finn had dropped the NXT championship uh, to Samoa Joe that memory says me right in, in uh, summer of 2016 and he was a first round draft pick by the team of Mick Foley and Stephanie fucking McMahon uh, fifth draft pick overall uh, so he was the highest drafted NXT superstar uh, in this roster and at that time in that, um, in that draft rather and at that time you could there were I think five NXT uh, superstars eligible to be drafted so he was picked fairly high up and I remember watching the Raw the week after, and there was a real sense of excitement. This was like a there was a new era. The brand split, brand brand split. Easy for me to say was back in place. There was some freshness about this uh, presentation, and Finn Balor that night was giving an amazing launch pad. He won, there was two fatal four ways and the wins of those matches would face each other later that evening in the singles match and the winner would go on to SummerSlam to take on uh, Seth Rollins for the championship and um, and um, Finn Balor would go on to be victorious on his fatal four way against Kevin Owens, Cesaro and Rusev and then go on to be victorious against Roman Reigns that evening. And those of us that were watching Raw that night thought, oh, here we go again. Yeah, no chance. Roman's <laughs> going to be the one to get his hand raised. Um, like, we all know what happened at SummerSlam that year. Um, and for, uh, Finn Balor became the first ever Universal Champion, but unfortunately uh, suffered an injury and had to relinquish the title and would be out of action until... The Raw after WrestleMania 33 when he made his return, uh, and that was very well received. He would go on to always be in. I, I would I would deem him as a, the upper mid card. He, I remember, something he got two championship opportunities at one point. If he took on Roman for the Universal Championship and had a really cracking effort against um, Brock Lesnar as well. Totally. Um, we've seen the occasional Demon appearance. Uh, we've seen the Balor Club stable for a wee while. Uh, he had a run with the Intercontinental Championship, a cracking match WrestleMania 34 against Seth, Sexy Seth and The Miz. There. We'd move over to SmackDown for a brief period uh, and then actually disappeared from the main roster. Uh, following his match against The Fiend at SummerSlam 2019 and then would return to NXT. So he got sort of a three-year run on the main roster. A period of time, of course, he was out injured there. First ever Universal Championship. 
but was always in the conversation. You know, the Iron Man in the Rumble. He was in the Elimination Chambers. He was. I think he had a really good spot over the years and the you know, debut with Impact, and that's one of the reasons I went for Finn Balor as one of the best NXT call-ups. Yeah, and you can't argue with Impact, eh, Daniel, that night. You know, the, the list of names that Gary's mentioned there, Rusev, Kevin Owens, Cesaro, Roman Reigns in one night, Seth Rollins at your first pay-per-view, that shows that the company has faith in you. That shows that the company's ready to put a rocket to your back. That's very true. I mean, uh, just just correct one thing. It was a debut with WWE, not Impact. That's a little bit confusing there. Uh, <laughs> in terms of his initial arrival on the main roster, they presented him as a, a credible threat to the like the heels on there because he beats, you know, he, he beats the big dog Roman Reigns. Which, considering they protected Reigns quite a bit during that period, that is a massive talking point right there. Then he he goes on to SummerSlam. We we all, we all know what happened with the separated shoulder. But if you want even more proof that he's a badass, you you see it briefly on camera, like before they cut away to Seth. He lands, knows what the injury is, pops the shoulder back in, and carries on. Mm-hmm. Like that's yeah. my boy. It's, it's madness, <laughs> and it's great. And Sarah, the thing was when. I feel at this point we already knew that the NXT call-ups were a bit touch and go. So do you remember when Finn Balor got drafted up in that first round of the draft to Monday Night Raw? Were you worried? And at what point were your your sort of concerns subsided? Was it after that first night? I mean, uh, see, when they were doing the draft and he was in the first round, that's when I was just like, right, okay. He's one of the very first that had been in their mind. So you're just like, it was Mick Foley and Stephanie McMahon. And you're like, you know that either Triple H has said to Steph, I can recommend this guy. Or Mick Foley's just like, I like that guy. Let's take that guy. <laughs> but I had absolutely no idea that they were going to push him to be the first Universal Champion. Like, I honestly, going through the like the matches and like and everyone knows that I, w- I was one of the biggest Finn Balor fans around about that time um, I know that me and Gary were like the ones that were obsessed with his abs don't forget that <laughs> the abs are um, great but when it was when it was going through it and I was just like nah nah Roman's gonna do it and even when it got to the, the actual match I was just like nah he's gonna he's gonna put Seth over because we all know Seth's like the bit like the sort of main guy for them obviously was being at the same time and like one of the best heels in the company and then when he won it after going through like popping his shoulder back into place i was so goddamn happy i actually couldn't believe that they were going to actually push this nxt talent yeah. to the moon i could not believe it and then when he vacated it the next good night I was heartbroken. I did not talk to anybody for days because I was fuming. And then, like after that, it went was gone. When you're off TV, even though he was talked about as being the first ever like Universal Champion, he only held it for a day, which is such a horrible, horrible thing to hear. Um, and yeah. then going through the rest of the accolades that he's had before going to NXT for the second tenure it it that it felt very unimpressive 
considering how it was how it started it's like how it started how it ended that's how it felt yeah totally and dave we have seen a reverse happen now finn balor went back to nxt after they couldn't quite recapture the magic of that initial call-up prediction for me right now and will finn balor go back up to the main roster in 2021 and if so who would you like to see him feud against at this stage it's difficult to say because i think when he, during his time on the main roster i think they sort of overexposed the sort of demon side to his character a bit you know they only brought it out for special occasions and sort of made it like a uh you know a special occasion type treat kind of thing but if he was to come to the main roster with the prince gimmick i wouldn't mind actually having having him have a rematch with roman reigns somewhere down the yeah. line given that you know it all start his main roster call up all started with roman reigns you know what better way you know if he was to come up a second time uh would he get in roman's face once again yeah totally and it's it's an interesting one with balor let will let history play itself out and we'll see if his second nxt call up can be just as impactful as his first one but to round us off today daniel campbell back to you what do you think is the best NXT call-up of all time? Well, when you're looking at NXT call-ups, most people will immediately go to, you know, the big ones that you've had after, like, the night after WrestleMania. So you're talking, like, your Enzo and Cass, your, like, Finn Balor in the draft and such, and the other names we've discussed on here. But I want to go even further back. I want to go back to Survivor Series 2012, we have a triple threat match for the WWE Championship. It's CM Punk, John Cena, and Ryback. And we have the match is reaching its apex. It looks like Ryback, I'm pretty sure, is about to win at this point. But then three people jumped them. Those three people, Seth Rollins, Dean Ambrose, and Roman Reigns, The Shield. Mm-hmm. And you look at how The Shield were presented for the next wee while. They were attacking anyone who was an adversary for people like CM Punk and Brad Maddox. Who's who's Brad Maddox again? Never mind. Um, they, they were attacking Ric Flair, Brodus Clay, uh, Sheamus, like, even Mick Foley, even, like, Tommy Dreamer. They were, they were basically writing off everyone that they came into contact with. And they were already on a good bit of steam. Seth Rollins at the time was the first ever NXT champion. And then, obviously, Seth would drop the title so that way they could focus on the main roster exploits. And let us remember that it was only until, like, so they debuted in November of 2012 on the main roster. They were undefeated for six months, that, or even longer than that. That streak ended in June on, uh, like, undefeated in uh, tag matches, I should say. They did have a couple of singles losses, including Ambrose losing to The Undertaker on an episode of SmackDown. That was a big moment as well for The Shield. They wrote off The Undertaker for a year. Yep. You know, not many factions can get to say that. And they were dominant. At one point, they were tag team and United States champions. And they were just being featured so prominently. And like there was a magic with The Shield, particularly as like there would be people in the, in the ring doing a promo you then hear the words Sierra Hotel Indigo Echo Lima Delta Shield and then everyone's like, oh crap, they're coming. But it wasn't like they come down like, down the ramp. Oh no, no, they came through the crowd. 
Mm. And you would see like the two points. Roman would be on like one side by himself. Seth and Dean would appear at the other side, and you would just get this moment, this build as they make their way down to the ring. It felt so bloody good just watching yeah. that every time. And you know, considering that they were brought in right at the top at first, assisting, you know, ass- assisting CM Punk, is, who was WWE champion at the time, a dominant victory at TLC against. Team Hell No and Ryback, and I mean, heck, even they even powerbombed the Rock through the table at Royal Rumble. Yeah, totally. Like, it's it was some run. It was some oh yes. run for them at that beginning part. And like you said, I think the important thing, Gary, that Daniel alludes to is they were put in right at the top of the card. And what's interesting about this one is that some of them hadn't really established themselves in NXT. Rollins was the champion, but it wasn't the NXT we know and love just yet. It was still in its beginning phase. But despite that, despite a lack of TV time, despite not doing too much, WWE still had faith in them to go that high up the card. That's got to speak for something. Yeah, it's a completely different era as well. And there was a period of mystery. Who are who are all these people? What's their agenda? And that's added, added to the story. And this was, um, you know, at the start of our show today, I was talking about uh, call-ups in WWE changing the characters from what they were in NXT. And more often than not, that proves not to work. Well, that was the opposite in this case, where... Oh, for God's sake. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Ollie wants a guest spot in this podcast. He is getting called up to the ESS Army. Yes, it's David Campbell. Right, away you going to your room. Hi, Ollie. Keep this in. <laughs> anyway, I, thought I had headphones in to try and prevent against this as well. <laughs> Carry on, um, Gary. Carry on. <laughs> yes, so the three of the, you know, these three were put into the shield and we didn't see the characters that they had been developing and honing as such. I mean, you still seen the, you know, Dean Ambrose are probably the one that was sort of most, or well, retained most of the traits from before, but the other two were quite, were really quite different in this, in this package. I mean, but what they went on to achieve was, was exceptional and they were booked right at the top of the card, working with all the tippy top guys and when uh, and that really established their credibility as an act and WWE from this it's very rare you know you bring a team on board and they've got three main eventers mm. out of this uh, this package it was you know you cannot uh, question how successful this package was yeah and the, you talk about not only their debut not only who they attacked Dave but Daniel alluded to it that first pay-per-view match against Team Hell No and Ryback TLC what a way to put yourself on the map in your first pay-per-view appearance oh honestly that is probably one of the best debut matches that anybody's brought out in in WWE like I know we were supposed to get you know a a one-on-one WWE title TLC match that night but what we got in its place I don't think anybody ever anticipated it to be that good but you know you've got a bunch of guys who I mean, this was this was our fir- this is their first match as a team as well. So I suppose we didn't really know what to expect with the three of them operating as a unit. But the it was a such a 
beautiful combination of you know creativity with the weapons and also an equal measure of brutality like particularly when seth rollins got thrown off that ladder through that giant mountain of tables like that's a memorable spot on its own and then you've got roman reigns sort of decimating the competition with all his powerhouse moves and stuff and then you've just got ambrose just being an absolute lunatic and he thrives in an environment like that so you get three totally totally different styles almost meshing together in the best way possible yeah totally and sarah to round this bit off we we saw these guys like we alluded to get called up relatively quick into their nxt run if you had to rewrite history and leave one of these guys in nxt at the time who do you think would have thrived on that brand the most probably dean ambrose um like i actually very 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 barely remember Roman Reigns and Dean Ambrose being in NXT like that's how short their tenure was I mean we all we all know that Seth obviously beat out Jinder Mahal which you know one of the greatest match ever um, to, to be the, <laughs> the inaugural NXT champion was like swinging the belt around above his head and like he, he was the poster child like being on um, Raw Smackdown, I mean, he's taken absolutely everything and turned it into gold. Kind of like you, David. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it's alright. It's okay. And with Roman Reigns, like, he's the one that the company believe in the most. Like, they always believed in him, hence why it's only taken until now, nine years later, for him to get different music. Mm. Yeah, right? exactly. Um, so I, th- I think Dean Ambrose, in terms of like his gimmick, when in the Shield, was a bit bleh, and then his, you know, lunatic gimmick was a bit bleh. He just seemed like a guy who was a little bit unhinged and that just didn't think about the consequences of his actions. Mm. Um, so I think if anyone was to benefit most, it would have been Dean Ambrose. Yeah. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Now, you all put forward compelling cases, but we do need to pick a winner for this half as well. Gary, I'm going to come to you first out of your opposition here. Whose call-up would you vote for for to be the best in NXT uh, call-up history? It's a a tough one. They've they've all got compelling cases, but I think I'm going to go with the Shield. Shield, okay. Daniel? I have to go with uh, the man who... Like has a show named after him. I'll go for the man behind the Kevin Owens show, Kevin Owens. Okay, Dave? I'm going to go with Becky, Charlotte, and uh, Sasha. Traitor. Okay, so then it comes down to Sarah Greaves. Sarah, who would you vote for? Finn Balor. Finn Balor. So it all <laughs> yes, comes Sarah. back to Campbell. <laughs> it all comes back to the goal. Okay, that's fair enough. <laughs> I am going to give this because, like I said earlier, it didn't only elevate the person who got called up, it elevated NXT as a brand. That's why I think it's the best call-up of all time. Kevin Owens wins this half of the show. Um, So, well done. Well done, uh, Gary and Dave. But, Sarah and Daniel, you do not leave here empty-handed. You leave here with my eternal love. All right, my my, (laughs) my two cents for this bit. I would have mentioned Alexa Bliss. I think... 
if you're talking about it comparatively, people who found greater success in the main roster than they did in NXT. Alexa Bliss is one of those names. So-so running NXT, manager, a couple of singles matches. People were actually surprised when she got called up in 2016 and quickly she became the focal point of the SmackDown women's division, which by the way, in my opinion, for my money, strongest women's division that SmackDown has ever had. Those mm -hmm. six women that were running that show at that yeah. time. Three women's matches in a pay-per-view at Elimination Chamber. Alexa Bliss went from someone who wasn't having the best run in NXT to being at the focal point of that uh, great women's division on SmackDown. So she would have been my pick there. But that's it. We're all out of time on today's show. It has been a pleasure. It has been a wonderful time talking to these people. Gary, what are you going to do the rest of the night? I'm going to go and finish my painting, David. Nothing exciting, I'm afraid. Oh, fair enough, fair enough. In, in terms of you're painting a room, not like a, a, a canvas. Yes, I'm painting my hall, sorry. I thought I mentioned that at the start of the show. I must have omitted that, sorry. <laughs> uh, I thought you were uh, talking about a painting of Finn Bauer's abs uh, or something. No, no, or I mean, if I, could, if I could do that, I would maybe paint them onto myself. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Daniel, what's your plan? <laughs> so what am I doing tonight? I am going to be finishing some preparation for Quiz Showdown 11. We've come a long way. We are going to be recording that very soon, and it is going to be releasing, I believe, on the 23rd of May. Very good. Very good. It should be a great time. Uh, Mr. David Hockney, what are your plans? I'll be watching the Line of Duty season finale tonight, and Jesus Mary Joseph and the wee donkey, this is going to be a ride and a half. <laughs> now we're sucking diesel. And yeah, damn right we are. <laughs> Um, well, my plan is to sit and live in regrets that I did not make different picks because I thought of them halfway through the show, and I'm oh. very upset with myself. Fair enough. Well, listen, what a way to end the and show. And so you should be. Sarah's upset. I'm, I'm not upset. <laughs> Have a great time. See you later on. Hello, I am Jack Graham. I am Scott McLeod. And I'm David Hockney. And you can catch us hosting one of the greatest shows in the history of podcasts, Saturday Draft Live. You can tune in every Saturday to find out who on the ESSR has the best chance of winning the current season of our fantasy draft. As always, you can catch Saturday Draft Live on all good podcasting platforms. <laughs>